0: Healthcare is a massive topic of interest for our audience here on AI and industry and for our main website, techemergence.com. Healthcare is a huge portion of our traffic, and certainly not all of our listeners, but it's very clear that there's a lot of interest from the healthcare community, and that pharma is a space where there's, again, a huge volume of very focused interest in the applications of machine learning and deep learning. We see huge spikes in traffic in the last three or four months on the topics related to deep learning and machine learning in the pharma space, and so we've tried to find interviews that are going to fit with that and sort of explore some of the possibilities of this data-rich field of pharma and how machine learning might sort of enhance it, improve it, and how the industry might even adopt it. Uh, this week, we speak with Gunjan Bardwaj who is the CEO of a company called InnoPlexus. Uh, InnoPlexus has offices in Europe as well as in India. And Gunjan speaks with us about the unique challenges that the pharma domain has with adopting uh, machine learning technologies, uh, not only in terms of data, being able to clean the data, being able to put the data in a single place and be able to make sense of it. Some of the inherent challenges there he shines a lot of light on, but also with talent. What kind of talent is required? What's the right balance for talent? How are we training and adopting our companies to integrate new kinds of talent? And also, what are some of just the inherent sticky? factors that are keeping companies from taking that innovative step forward. Um, big pharma firms are really wary of having some kind of a negative impact on a project. If they undertake AI and it doesn't show huge results right away, if that negatively affects their stock price, that's, that's a bad thing for the company. And so folks are often thinking about sort of how do we integrate this new innovative program, but at the same time not make it be too much risk uh, for the business or for our public relations. And these are all things that Gungeon addresses in terms of unique challenges in the pharma space, as well as some companies that are moving past them well. So what are some potential approaches to sort of whittle past these inherent challenges to actually see some real value from the leveraging of artificial intelligence in the pharma space? So uh, unique hurdles, uh, potential solutions, and really the future of pharma and AI here this week on AI and Industry. I hope you enjoy this episode. So Gunjan, I wanted to begin with talking about relevance of insight in terms of applying machine learning and AI to drug development, to the pharmaceutical space. There's a lot of tinkering, there's a lot of experimenting, there's a lot of partnering going on in that world. But I know that there are some hindrances to really driving business value. Talk a bit about what you've seen sort of live in the field in that space as those major hurdles.
1: There are a lot of experiments wherein you would do tinkering with all kinds of data and produce analytics, analytics that is needed in the life science industry is analytics that really moves the cheese. And what moves the cheese are context-aware insights that could drive actions. Now, how do you get context-aware insights? You get context-aware insights if you'll push in relevant data into the analytical engines. As you know, in AI, one could look at four drivers of success. One would be computational power that has become, that is more and more becoming a commodity now. People, you would look at algorithms and there is a plenty. I would say 95% of the problems that can move the cheese, you have an approach, an algorithm already out there. The fourth and the most important element that drives success of AI, especially in life sciences data. A lot of this data is not clean, it doesn't speak to each other, it's not normalized. In order to get data normalized, wherein an EGFR could be a protein, it could be a biomarker, it could be a target in different contexts. Hmm. in order to disambiguate that, it is absolutely necessary that we see how the universe of data looks like. You can't have a piecemeal approach. If you're doing analytics on, say, clinical development, you can't just pull out clinical data and think, well, my job is done. Clinical development relates to discovery. It relates to regulatory approvals. So one has to look at the data at the peripheries of that specific stage of the drug development value chain as well. Summarizing, one needs to have relevant data that would come in If one could have access to the entire digital life science universe, feed it into engines that would provide context-aware insights, not just anything, but context-aware insights that would drive
0: actions and decisions. And just to clarify, so this is, you know, as a as a dynamic here, we're bringing up the, the term context-aware, just to really put a finger on that, I presume by context-aware we're talking about including enough varied data sources to really be able to come up with something conclusive, something that, again, we can take action on. My presumption is, okay, well, that means we would probably need more data or have enough types of data. For all I know, you know, in the pharma world, as far as you see it, maybe there's a different definition. I'm going to really try to have the audience be able to imagine what this term context-aware means. You know, maybe what it does mean, what it doesn't mean, so people can have a contrast. Maybe shed a light on a good example thereof, if you could.
1: Sure. So with context-aware, I mean two things. First, in life science and pharma, it's not English that the data speaks. It's not French, it's not German, it's not Spanish. It's medical or pharma English. It's medical or life science or pharma German and so on and so forth. There is a language of the domain, what we call a meta-ontology. A meta-ontology that encompasses the ICDs of this world, the gene ontologies, the pathways, the biomarkers, all biomedical concepts and their semantic relationships defined. Unless the system speaks the language of that domain, you cannot understand in what context something is said. Second, there are a lot of ambiguities, as I mentioned before. Ambiguities could be at three levels. The first, at the level of biomedical concepts or entities themselves, say EGFR. In one context, it could be referred to as a protein. In another context, it could be referred to as a biomarker. And in a totally different context, it could become a target. Now, when you are looking at EGFR in a text, are you referring to it as a biomarker, as a target, or a protein? It could be also with respect to human beings. Imagine a set of oncologists, if you are looking at key opinion leaders, there could be gunjans, in you know six gunjans who are oncologists yeah now how do you decide whether a publication belongs to this gunjan you're talking to or some other gunjan by the way gunjan is also a female name I mean,
0: that's tough that's a challenging uh, third,
1: one. third, at the level of institutions how do you decide that a patent belonging to a specific inhibitor pertaining to a specific inhibitor belonging to a company now belongs to another company how do you normalize that? And that's what I mean with context-aware. So all the data that feeds in should understand the context of the domain, the way sentences, the way our uh, paraphrase, the way biomedical entities semantically talk to each other, and all the ambiguities have to be disambiguated. what we call normalizing entities. And once that's done,
0: What comes out is context-aware. Got it. And now I think we'll dive into a little bit more on how this is executed. In other words, how we achieve this degree of relevance. I know you've done a bit of writing for us on tech emergence and people can, can see your article. We also had a piece that went up literally just the day before you and I are recording this on bridging the gap between life sciences and computer science. And I think you and I are touching on many similar topics, which is namely if we're going to derive relevant insight that we can take action on. We need to be able to figure out, you know, this whole idea of context aware, I don't think can happen by machines themselves. There needs to be some degree of subject matter expertise in the life sciences, pharma domain, like you had mentioned, the patents, the proteins, the whole nine yards. We need that expertise. And we also need an expertise around applying artificial intelligence and machine learning. And then we also need the various and sundry kinds of data to, like you had said, be normalized in some sense where you can make sense of things. So It seems like the way I see it is there's these two pillars of hurdle here, two pillars of challenge, which are how do we get relevance by combining those human expertises, which are rarely found in one person, and how do we normalize all that data that seems so hard to plug together and make sense of in one coherent way. Is it safe to say that maybe those are kind of two of the big aspects here, both the the talent and knowledge and also just the raw data and information?
1: Absolutely, Dan.
0: Yeah, go ahead. Talk about what you're seeing done to make some productive progress. And maybe we can talk first on the talent side, which I'm sure you're seeing in the field more than I as you're sort of focused here. So I'm, I'm really eager for your sort of ideas on this.
1: So There are four kinds of talents that we look at. Whenever we look at building a continuous analytics application, an application that would spit out relevant insights for you to to help in decision-making, that would support decision-making. The first bit is that of experts in life science. Even if you teach the data and ontology a language, there would always be flags raised for entities that are not understood by the system given every day, the rate of innovation, the number of publications that are coming out, trials happening is just exploding. So there is a a good probability that you might find something. And once that's flagged, the machine asks a human being, an expert, what is this entity? So you would need an expert who who would understand all these different data universe. The second bit is that of data scientists, but data scientists who are not, tinkering with data just to produce something data scientists who, who are aware the data that we need to analyze has to be analyzed in a context so they know how to work together with life scientists the third bit is people who understand the business you might have the perfect understanding of the data how to how to contextualize or normalize that data disambiguate that data but in the end what are you analyzing for does it move the cheese So one has to understand the business. And last but not the least, which we believe is super important, is also the user experience. When you know what needs to be spit out, what would be a context-aware insight that would really drive decision-making, support decision-making, and you have disambiguated all the data, it's about how do you present those insights to a decision-maker? And I think that's super important too. A lot of visualizations that come out have to be intuitive because if they are not intuitive,
0: they are not gamified, they aren't going to be used. This is a curious part of the problem here. You'd mentioned a, a few things here that I'll just sort of touch on. You said even if you have a perfect understanding of the data and how to leverage it with AI within kind of a pharma context, you know, you still need a business person. I'd say even if you get to that first step, wow, you deserve a trophy. But yes, of course you do need to ultimately turn this into something that translates to value for the company, completely agreed. The issue that you brought up, which obviously you folks have to be pretty well focused on building the company at Interplexus is, what does this actually look like and feel like? If you have to have AI folks and life sciences folks and business folks reading reports, looking at charts, trying to make sense of information and make decisions, Um, if it only comes out in some really obscure raw Python code or some really academic crazy format that unless you have a PhD in that domain, you you just wouldn't understand, then maybe we're not able to have those contextual conversations to actually make things happen. It, It seems to me like this is a really pervasive ongoing challenge, right? The lowering the barrier to entry for using these AI tools to actually make sense of things. I take it that probably has to be a pretty major focus for folks like you that are building tools. I, I think maybe a lot of people don't think about that.
1: Absolutely. That's where the center of gravity of all business lies. In the end, we should be able to simplify those insights in a way that they are usable. There are so many dashboards that people have you know dashboards don't help you don't just spit out all the data the analytics out you have to visualize you should be able to visualize them in a way that they are available whenever those decision makers need them wherever they need them in a way that's very intuitive that doesn't Take a lot of ATPs of the brain away.
0: Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Moving the cheese, ATPs. We're we're getting we're getting some good phraseology going on in this interview here. Maybe to close things out, something that we could touch on that I think probably the people in life sciences would be interested to know, and and you probably have some opinions here. Maybe you've seen some companies who've done a better job than others at bringing together these parts of the conversation, the hard computer science the real pharma slash life science expertise, and then also business relevance. What are we doing? What value are we driving? That's a hard conversation to really get everybody on the same page about and give each other enough kind of cross-referenced ideas so that everybody has the same quote-unquote line of sight and can make sense of the information the same way. Obviously a major challenge, obviously quite a new thing in the life sciences world. I'm, I'm interested if if maybe there's some commonalities that you've seen among companies who are doing that better than others, you know, who seem to at least have some ducks in a row of making context work across those different expertises.
1: Absolutely, Dan. The common thread among the successful champions has been a strong focus on what moves the cheese in business. Don't just do digital projects, AI projects. For the sake of doing them or starting these huge data lake projects within the business value is clear also not to the people who are driving those projects eventually yes but the patience of the business is not that long they can't wait for three to five years to get something going they need support today so companies that have a clear focus on business and what drives value for business have been successful. And I would be more than happy to name one of such hidden champions, and that's from Germany, Merck KGAA. Rehan Verge, their chief strategy officer, has been a key driver in talking about how technology, AI, and everything that we do with data has to eventually create value. So there has to be an unconditional focus on business value with all initiatives that are undertaken.
0: Yeah. Okay. An important point to note, and you know, as a business fellow myself, I could only do so much graduate school before I had to go leave and run my companies full-time because it's, it's hard to, to do school and run businesses at the same time. But as a guy who didn't spend a whole bunch of time getting a PhD in either computer science or life science, stopped at master's, went off to business, seems like it's... Far too obvious to say something like that. Like, hey, we have to make sure that at some point this uh, contributes to the value we drive as a company. But I could see how maybe in a big enough organization where research is a big enough portion and there's enough folks that can just focus on that, there is a danger of turning things into An academic exercise. When we we did that article on bridging the gap between life sciences and computer science, which is up now on the site, one of the PhDs that was interviewed had said, in terms of advice for pharma companies, don't tinker with this in a dark corner to try to get your feet wet. Go ahead and hit problems that are going to drive business value or you're going to be left in the dust. And maybe it behooves him to say that because he he builds tools for this space kind of like you do. But I mean, it seems like it, it really is pretty cold logic here is it safe to say that there is a risk that maybe people think, well, we're not expert at this yet, so let's not really work on the big challenges? Is, is that kind of an instinct that you see?
1: Absolutely. That is instinctive. And you can also look at the financial dynamics here. Imagine a pharma company CEO saying, I'm going to take a big bet and I'm going to do a virtual, create a virtual research and development to find the next drug to treat breast cancer using ai and i'm going to invest half a billion dollars in doing that given for a specific drug that comes out you invest way more than that imagine an ai entrepreneur doing that and now imagine both failure you know what the stock markets would do to the ai entrepreneur on a failure and what would they do to a pharma ceo yeah and hence the intrinsic structures of the industries the capital structure the expectations of the capital markets everybody expects them to succeed with ai with digital but nobody gives them the headroom to experiment and take really big bets
0: uh-huh. and another yeah that's, that's a really tough challenge go ahead sorry is, I mean to interrupt you
1: and another thing what you also mentioned common sense is not that common Why are you doing research and development? Why are you doing a project on computational biology? Why are you doing clinical trials? Why are you going for regulatory approvals? In the end, you want to improve patient lives, thereby also creating economic value. It's all driven by value. Hence, any initiative that you do, whether in R&D, whether in clinical development, whether in regulatory or commercial has to have a clearly defined business value. Just because we do not understand computational biology or how AI could be combined with classical or traditional bioinformatics doesn't mean we cannot expect a commonsensical approach to understanding what the business value at the end of this project or this initiative would be. And how would it relate to numbers at the end of the day? Many people fail to do that, exactly as you said. Well, that's too complex. I don't understand. Let people run U-boats. And some are very, very cold, very brutal on this aspect. And those are the ones who seem to be successful today.
0: And again, doesn't surprise me, although you did bring up a consideration that makes a lot of sense when you said it, didn't come to me intuitively because pharma is not exclusively where I focus, unlike yourself. That the the way the capital markets and the expectations are set up, there's a real hit that a big company, you know, like a Merck, like a Bayer, could take if they undertake some gargantuan AI project, and maybe it doesn't have some specific result by some specific time. It's not like a Silicon Valley where hey, a whole bunch of cool attempts can actually sort of make for great press and bring you some great attention and everybody has fun. It's sort of like we need all your drugs to work and and that's kind of what's expected and your share price will be hurt. And that seems to maybe help lead into this attitude potentially of tentativeness and not out of any moral fault, but just out of kind of the business dynamics, how are you seeing companies, maybe it's like Merck that you had mentioned, who apparently you admire, how are you seeing companies overcome that hurdle? Because that's not even necessarily their fault for being lazy or ignorant. It's just the fact that they have to be a little bit tentative about how the market is going to respond. How are people working around that or working with that to still work on major problems, to still maybe take a bit of a risk to make this stuff work?
1: See, then, you know, uh, trust is a promise kept. So if you start an initiative, and it might not be the biggest bet that you can take, say a smaller or medium-sized problem that would have an impact on your business, close it successfully and talk about that. Let analysts listen to that. Let analysts hear out your story. What are you doing with AI in your company and what is working? If you do that over and over again, the markets, the capital markets, other stakeholders would start believing in your story, in in your promise and in your vision of AI for your organization. And once that happens, the bets can slowly become slightly bigger.
0: Yeah. Interesting point. It's challenging, you know, you mentioned analysts and all these things that public companies have to deal with. I think when we start to see more and more quote unquote tangible success stories in this domain where you can clearly see an ROI of AI, then a whole bunch of investments maybe will be less questioned. I think right now everybody feels like, oh, maybe we're going to be the ones that take the arrows in the back. We're going to overextend. We're going to look silly. Somebody else is going to you know, not invest quite as much. They're not going to hurt their sales price. So there, there is a bit of this kind of chess game and kind of PR game and there are dynamics to balance, but I guess your advice for companies that really do want to see business value would be, look, invest what you can that's reasonable, be open and frank about it, you know, convey that you're investing in the future of the technologies and the future of the business in addition to that one particular drug. You're developing those expertises and that those cross-functional abilities and that by drumming home that message, maybe it becomes less spooky if not everything is a super win right away. Maybe it becomes part of a really evolving, forward-thinking company, and maybe that can let people focus on real business problems. I'm trying to nutshell what you said, but I don't want to put it in the wrong light.
1: Absolutely. It's all about a drug that comes out faster to the market is going to save a lot of patients lives or is going to help patients live a healthier life. A drug that goes through clinical development faster, a drug that gets an approval faster or has a better patient uptake because you are able to push it out to the right key opinion leaders and and ensure a good uptake in the market is eventually going to help the patients. And hence if one connects the initiative, the power that's going behind to the ultimate value, I think we'll have all ears. But there has been so much of noise. And I understand you know, with noise and when people don't see credibility in terms of companies having the right capability, the right data, and the right motivation, or understanding of what really drives value. I think it's all about simplifying the digital and AI strategy for yourself, of saying that's where AI really transformed the business we are today in. And also then communicating this to external stakeholders.
0: Yeah. That's the key. For the startups who are tuned in, these are... uh a few headaches that you're lucky enough to not have to deal with. For the public companies, obviously, these are real serious considerations about how business is done and dynamics that people have to tune into. And I think that was a nice contextual insight on the market itself to wrap us up here, Gunjan. So thanks for doing that for us. That's all that we have for time, but I sincerely appreciate you sharing your insights here on AI and industry.
1: Thank you so much, Dan. It was a pleasure speaking to you.
0: and regular coverage of the AI applications of both the hottest startups here in the Bay Area, as well as what Fortune 500 companies are doing with AI today. Everything from marketing and advertising, business intelligence, to specific industries like finance and healthcare, you can stay ahead of the curve and stay on the right side of disruption by visiting techemergence.com. And when you're there, make sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter on the left-hand side of the page. Uh, Most of our podcast listeners get the episodes directly to their inbox every week. You'll be joining tens of thousands of other business leaders who join us from all over the world to stay ahead of the curve of AI in their specific industry. So that's techemergence.com. I'm Dan Figella, This is AI in Industry, and we'll catch you next week.